This is Climate One, changing the conversation about energy, economy, and the environment. Burning fossil fuels disrupts all of the systems around us. But one system climate has not disrupted is American politics, despite there being a strong conservative case for climate action. Moving to a decentralized grid structure is a national security issue. Rooftop solar is a national security issue. There is nothing more centralized in our nation, nor more vulnerable to a terrorist attack than our power grid. So when it comes to climate, Republicans and Democrats are not always as divided as it looks in Washington. If you took out the big money and you just looked at the facts, most of the decisions would be made closer to where the people are, which I think there is a climate action majority in the country. Bridging the Partisan Divide, up next on Climate One. Is climate really as partisan an issue as politics in Washington makes it seem? Welcome to Climate One, changing the conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. I'm Devin Strolovich. Climate One conversations with oil companies and environmentalists, Republicans and Democrats, are recorded before a live audience and hosted by Greg Dalton. Today's show features two guests from opposite sides of the aisle who found common ground advocating for clean energy. One, a member of the political establishment, and the other, an insurgent who's shaking it up. They'll tell us about surprising alliances among standard bearers on the left and right, who are also putting aside their differences to advance solar and wind energy, often in red states. Debbie Dooley was one of the original founders of the Tea Party and is a staunch supporter of Donald Trump. She works in many states around the country advocating for competition and consumer choice in energy markets and stewardship of God's creation. Christine Pelosi is executive committee woman of the Democratic National Committee. She's the daughter of House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi and runs a boot camp that trains aspiring Democratic politicians. Here's our conversation about bridging the partisan divide on climate. Debbie Dooley, tell us how you went from growing up the daughter of a Baptist preacher in Louisiana to being the early founder of the Tea Party, now advocating for clean energy. Well, I am, uh, I've always been somewhat of a rebel. If you know any preacher's kids, I mean, you probably understand that, you know, they're very rebellious, want to make their own way. Um, but growing up, I have always cared about the environment because I believe as a Christian that we should not destroy what God created. We should not destroy the earth that God created. Uh, I believe in opposed uh, bailouts. I believe in individual liberty and freedom. And I have been active in Republican politics since 1976, since I was in high school. And I've been volunteered as a political activist. I got pretty upset with the Republican Party under George W. Bush's administration. I was appalled with the Wall Street bailouts. I think a lot of the CEOs should have ended up in jail like most of us would have been. And so I was one of the 22 people that co-founded the Tea Party movement, but the Tea Party movement actually really began under George W. Bush. If you go to a Tea Party rally and you mention his name or Karl Rove's name, you'll get a lot of sneers. And so, and so I, um, it, it was a natural fit. 
Um, I've gotten to a very big public fight with an electric monopoly, Georgia Power, over Plant Vogel. Uh, these are two nuclear reactors they're building. And I found out with the massive cost overruns that were projected, they were making a guaranteed profit off of the cost overruns. I felt like that was a bailout. And I'm like, why should we reward irresponsibility of the, this corporation, of this monopoly? And I opposed it, and I began to look for ways to provide competition and choice, uh, to find a better way to provide energy than these expensive nuclear reactors. I started investigating clean energy and solar and found out a lot of the things that I had been told for years about solar energy were not true. Mm -hmm. And so I began to be a very strong solar energy advocate. And I, you know, often butt heads with... Uh, I sneer. I, I will try to keep from sneering when I say the name Koch brothers, but I really, <laughs> I really don't like them because I fight a lot of their groups in different states nationwide, and I am thrilled to be here and being good stewards of the environment God gave us should not be a partisan issue. Christine Pelosi, I'm not sure how rebellious you are, um, <laughs> but I uh, certainly grew up in politics. Uh, so tell us your story, how you got to where you are growing up with a you know, political family in California, very much the environment part of that. Tell us your, your story. Well, I did grow up here in San Francisco. My mom had five kids within six years. So my parents, are very devout Catholics, uh, had, Italian <laughs> Catholics had all these kids. And we were, we were um, at the CalMart um, over in Laurel Village, for those of you locals who know where it is. And uh, my sister Jacqueline was uh, trying to get some Pepperidge Farm cookies. And I was insisting that we couldn't get the cookies because they were owned by um, Campbell's Soup. And Campbell's Soup was abusing the farm workers in the field. And therefore, no Pepperidge Farm cookies. And Jacqueline's like, Mom, you said politics wasn't going to be in our lives. And um, <laughs> because my mom was a northern chair of the state party, uh, state Democratic Party. And uh, but the fact is, politics is in all our lives. Right. And that's just the way it is. And, and now it's it's the same thing when we talk about justice for farm workers. I'm quite active in the Me Too politics movement. We said enough. So we're very concerned about the the, the food safety program for for workers in the field. We're concerned about Me Too STEM and, and all of the women who've been locked out of the climate science discussion because they've been harassed or their work co-opted. So uh, there's a lot of justice around picking out the cookies in the supermarket um, or uh, participating in making consumer choices. I have uh, gone on to serve in my own right, elected uh, to the Democratic Party, the National Committee. And I laugh when you said how much of a rebel am I, because actually I've been fighting for years the role of corporate money in politics. <laughs> and a year ago last week, I... I had a rather crushing defeat on national television as the party rejected my efforts to ban all corporate money. But I came back from that, built some coalitions, right. and, which is what you have to do. And last October, uh, convinced my colleagues at the Democratic National Committee to not take predatory money. So no nuclear, no guns, no tobacco, um, no money that conflicts with our platform. And I think that the lesson that I give people in my campaign boot camps around the country, whether it's here in California where we have a fossil fuel money out uh, of politics pledge that R.L. Miller, our great environmentalist, uh, has started, or whether you're talking about um, identifying people who are harming 
the planet and saying, as we fight to get elected or as we fight to make our way in public life, we're not going to take the polluters' money in order to stop the polluters. We have to draw a clear line and build a coalition instead in a grassroots way. So that's my uh, climate rebellion. The Yale Project on Climate Communication has found that Republicans do not always align with their party leaders and elected officials when it comes to climate issues. Here is Maddow Millenberger from the University of California to explain more. The public ends up having more bipartisan support for various climate policies than you might expect just listening to political elites. There's actually majority belief that climate is changing in you know, most parts of the country amongst Republican voters specifically. And while not all Republicans necessarily believe that humans are responsible for climate change, there still is pretty substantial support for different types of climate policy so we find, for instance, that Republicans across the country, in all states and in most congressional districts, support regulation of carbon pollution. And we find similar support for renewable energy research and development. Even Trump voters, some of them believe in climate change, some of them want to see climate action. So it's certainly not a monolithic block. Many members of the public are, are of course, taking their climate and energy positions from elites, right? They're responding to elite cues and partisan rhetoric on this issue. You know, as it turns out, um, our representatives aren't very good at estimating sort of the dis local distribution of public opinion. And this really sharp elite polarization between Democrats and Republicans is really something that's quite recent. You know, it's worth remembering that Newt Gingrich and Nancy Pelosi were, were making ads talking about their shared interest in seeing climate change addressed, you know, as, as recently as the late 2000s. That's Matt Mildenberger, assistant professor from the University of California at Santa Barbara. Debbie Dooley, why is there such a gap between the Republican rank and file in the country and their elected leaders? We heard that the Trump voters support uh, research into renewable energy, want to attack carbon pollution, and yet that's not what people in Congress and even the administration are doing. Follow the money. I mean, that, that, that's what it all, I mean, that's, that's that simple. Follow the money. I think she's right. I would echo that on the Democratic side before you get to me. <laughs> Same thing. Follow the money, because I think that our activists, we just had our Democratic state convention recently in California. And again, um, our activists are against fracking. Not all of our candidates for governor are out here on the, on the Democratic side. In fact, the strangest thing, a few years ago in 2014, when I came out against um, fracking, I actually got death threats on Twitter. Who, who threatens to kill somebody over opposition to fracking. But it was interesting because as it turns out, uh, you know, we're California, we're San Francisco earthquake country, hopefully right. not during this broadcast. But when you look <laughs> at the earthquakes that are happening, the USGS studies, the earthquakes that are happening in Ohio, that are happening in Oklahoma, and that do have a connection to fracking, again, follow the money. It, we only really won the rhetorical point when the head of um, Exxon, as it turns out, opposed fracking on his block because he just bought a new house and he didn't want to contaminate his drinking water. <laughs> And so he said, see, all right, now there's a market-based solution for you, but it's still there. So I do think you have to follow the money in both parties and say, if you took out the big money and you took out the money that's funding the think tank-based studies um, and you just looked at the facts, I would bet you most of the decisions would be made closer to where the people are, which I think there is a, 
a climate action majority in the country. Debbie, one story there is the bring back our son effort in Nevada. Nevada was the sort of a clash of Warren Buffett against Elon Musk, the electric utility. Tell us that story, because that's a real interesting story of kind of the people uh, winning something back. Well, I got involved because the PUC, which is the regulators in Nevada, decided that we're going to go after net metering and we're going to you know allow envy energy to get their way and not pay fair market value on the electrons that solar users were selling back to envy energy and instead of grandfathering it they made it retroactive so a lot of these people many republicans had purchased these solar panels uh you know with the understanding that, hey, I'm going to be receiving this money back. So we actually, I was part of a Bring Boat uh, Solar Back campaign with that. I went out, uh, Mark Ruffalo and I were at the same <laughs> campaign rally. He's actually, I, we, you know, we when I see him, I just like talking to him because he's <laughs> down-to-earth guy. So I had a microphone, a megaphone and all that. And while I was going to Nevada for the different weekends to gather signatures on the petition, we found out that uh, I think it, it was Sheldon Adelson and some of the casino owners were also in a fight with Energy because they wanted to disconnect from the grid and generate their own power. And MV Energy said, no, you can't do that unless we allow you to do that and you have to pay us millions of dollars each year. So the casino owners... That was the wrong thing to do with these casino owners with MV Energy. And so they said, okay. And so they uh, funded a referendum to start pushing towards deregulation, and it passed overwhelmingly in November of 2016. But it was Republican donor Sheldon Adelson that actually funded the ballot initiative uh, to push for deregulation and choice in Nevada. You're listening to a Climate One conversation about bridging the partisan divide. Coming up... Greg Dalton will ask about the prospects for a climate deal from a GOP-led Congress. We're going to have to see members of the Republican Party believe that they can go to ribbon cuttings in their districts that represent the creation of jobs in their communities. And if you can make it a jobs bill, then I think it has a chance of getting passed. That's up next when Climate One continues. We continue now with Climate One. Greg Dalton is talking about the partisan divide on climate with Christine Pelosi, executive committee woman of the DNC, and Debbie Dooley, president of Conservatives for Energy Freedom. Before the break, Debbie was describing a recent battle over solar power in Nevada. Let's listen as Greg asks her about a similar situation in Florida. Debbie Dooley, uh, tell us about the fight over solar power in the Sunshine State. Well, when I first got involved in the uh, fight in Florida, it was in uh, January 2014. Uh, Mark Ruffalo had invited me to come. His uh, solutions project had invited me to come. They were sponsoring a car at one of the pre-Daytona 500 races. Uh, Leilani Munter had the car. And so I met them and I started talking to folks. She's a NASCAR driver who drives an electric car. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I started talking to the activists and I said, well, Florida must be doing good. You're the sunshine state. And they said, "Uh, no, 
George is doing better. And I said, well, let's work together. And it was folks from Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. And uh, we were very active. We put together a coalition in Florida to push for energy choice and freedom. Uh, in our coalition, we had uh, the Libertarian Party of Florida, Christian Coalition, Tea Party Network, uh, environmental groups, League of Women Voters, and we all came together. And uh, we were working for a common purpose, the monopolies and, uh, you know, even the, some of the conservative groups like Heartland, I don't like them either. And, uh, you know, some of these other groups just started telling lies about what we were trying to do. And Americans for Prosperity, I kind of butted heads with them too and called them liars on national TV on Chris Hayes' show one time. So we started this fight, and uh, there were a lot of false information. So the utilities, electric utilities, got involved in it. And so they created their own. We wanted to have a, a solar freedom initiative on the ballot that would allow third-party sales and leasing of solar. It would allow individuals, private property owners, to have the ability to become entrepreneurs and actually sell excess electricity generated to their neighbors. Uh, so we put together a very big coalition. I also forgot to mention that Republican Liberty Caucus was involved in it. So the the so the electric monopolies were threatened because they want to keep customers shackled to them. And uh, they started their own amendment. It was uh, we called it the scam amendment and <laughs> they called theirs the solar choice amendment which was a a big joke. So our same Floridians for solar choice uh, we uh, started working together, and uh, we defeated their amendment. We had to keep them below a 60 percentage threshold. I think the monopoly spent $30 million, and I don't even think we spent 100000 And our coalition defeated it. On election night, I was actually in Tampa, in St. Pete, Tampa. I wanted to watch the returns with the people of the coalition, and uh, so it was funny, uh, through certain parts of the evening when we were looking to make sure we defeated the Monopolies Amendment, we were all together over the laptops, all together. When we wanted to watch the presidential election returns, we would go to opposite <laughs> sides of the room to, to do that. And, and we were respectful of each other's differences. I, I knew I didn't. I knew you. that's the key. You have to be respectful of each other's differences. And you don't focus on it when you're working in a coalition together. And then at the end of the night, when we were getting ready to close up, we had defeated the amendment. So the electric utilities wasted $30 million, which they'll probably recoup from their rate payers anyway mm -hmm. and uh, so we all came together to uh, with a glass of champagne to toast our joint victory and that sent shockwaves now all of a sudden in Florida we uh, a lot of the Republicans are falling all over themselves to introduce pro-solar amendments mm. and I mean that's key because of the involvement I was down there with our coalition. 
Christine Pelosi, let's talk about the politics in Congress. There is something called the, the Climate Solutions Caucus, where Republicans and Democrats are coming together. Uh, they call it the Noah's Ark. It's led by a congressman from Southern Florida, which is going slowly disappearing. Is there any hope for mm. any deal? In where can there be you know, a deal in, Cong in this Congress on some of these climate issues? Is it infrastructure? You can't name it climate, but is it infrastructure? You know, where's, are there any deals that can be made? I think that there are deals that can be made when they put together the budget, not the president's current budget, certainly not the solar tariffs that he just uh, recently announced that, that the two of us oppose. Right. Yes. When we look at infrastructure, really building, and, and we had this conversation a year ago when we actually thought there was going to be an infrastructure build. But you have to think of build, build, build. You want to build out with clean energy. You want to build out in a way that is good paying jobs. And you also want to build out in a way that is accessible to all, particularly people with disabilities. Because if you're talking about building, whether it's a public housing, whether it's roads, whether it's public transit, um, whatever the actual elements of the construction are, it has to be inclusive for everyone. I think that's how you build the coalition, because you have the Americans with Disabilities Act coalition, you have the Climate Coalition, you have a number of people who are very interested in public-private partnerships. But to be clear on that, not where you're dealing in something like nuclear, for example, which not only is not renewable, not only is still um, dangerous in my view and, and concerning, but also it's something for which utilities can't get insurance. So I'm thinking, well, if you can't go out into the marketplace and get insurance for what you want to build, why do you want Debbie and I to right. be your insurers? Why is it that when you're talking about some of this uh, new construction is contemplated in ways that are still dirty energy? So that's not going to work. You're going to obviously have to have a balance. You can't say you're not going to have any. But if you if you move towards the goals of the Paris Accords, I mean, again, you can't call it the Paris Accords, you can't call it climate action among certain circles because the Republicans won't vote for it because they'll feel that they can't because they'll be primaried by somebody right. who doesn't have the benefit of Debbie's coalition to help them. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, when you look at somebody like the Koch brothers, they can invest what they said they would invest, which is over $400 million in House of Representatives races alone in 2018, because for them, it's return on investment. If they look at oil shell reserves in the United States, and they think we can make billions of dollars from extraction and fracking and all the rest, if they feel that they can make billions of dollars, then what's a half a billion dollars? It, it is worth the return on investment. And so that's what we're up against. It's not that we're up against the value of an idea. It's that we are up against uh, two things. One, the fact that you have enormous amounts of money that's going to be spent to try to influence the debate. And second of all, they just passed a tax bill that takes a lot of money out of the Treasury that could have otherwise been used. So we're going to have to see members of the Republican Party believe that they can go to ribbon cuttings in their districts that represent the creation of jobs in their communities. And if you can make it a jobs bill, then I think it has a chance of getting passed. Debbie Dooley, uh, climate is your number one issue. Donald Trump is your man. And yet he has done a lot to uh, revive fossil fuels and has been very uh, detrimental on the climate issue. So help us understand your number one issue. The person you back is has a very different view than you do. 
Well, I looked at other issues as well, and I also believe in the tax bill. I don't think uh, solar was hurt, if I'm not mistaken, in the A lot of the green energy things made it through. People were worried they made it through because of Republican support in Congress and elsewhere. They they did, so, uh, and that was good, but I disagreed pulling out of the, you know, the Paris Accord. Uh, Donald Trump can say whatever he wants to and push coal. Uh, The bottom line is that boat has sailed. It will never be the king that it once was. And that's because the grassroots elected officials listened many times to the grassroots. And if we speak loudly enough, we can have a bigger influence than like the Koch brothers and their money. And I've been involved in battles and, uh, you know, especially in Georgia and in in Florida. And we were against uh, a lot of deep-pocketed special interest when it comes to solar. Mm. And guess what? We won because the people wanted it. The people spoke out forcefully enough. So I think that with the solar tariffs, I strongly oppose that. But I I saw Donald Trump give a press conference where he talked about, well, we're putting, you know, going after China. And then he started praising solar manufacturers in the United States that he wanted to bring them back. So I think he will eventually get the message. It doesn't matter. I mean, I mean, he could go out and pronounce that, hey, coal is at the level at once will we're going to get it back no you're not okay just like i said that ship is sailed it will never be king because people want individual freedom they want clean energy i have heard from so many people and i can tell you something else uh i heard from a man when i posted new york times story on twitter I think his Twitter handle was Magadon for Donald Trump. (laughs) He said, I love clean energy and I want clean energy, but it's so high I can't afford it. Mm. And that's the thing. We need to put money invested in innovation and research because it's a climate issue. But for me, uh, moving to a decentralized grid structure is a national security issue. Rooftop solar is a national security issue. There is nothing more centralized in our nation nor more vulnerable to a terrorist attack than our power grid. Uh, There was a report that was released. It was the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that found that terrorists could take down nine of the key substations out of more than 54,000, and it would cause a blackout from coast to coast. Mm. So rooftop solar helps keep us safe. I envision an America where everybody can afford rooftop solar, where we are self-sufficient. Imagine how how millions and millions of homes with rooftop solar would reduce our carbon footprint. That's the America I envision. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Debbie Dooley, co-founder of the Green Tea Coalition, and Christine Pelosi, an executive committee woman of the DNC. I'm Greg Dalton. This is Climate One from the Commonwealth Club. Uh, We're going to go to our lightning round, in which we ask quick questions and quick answers. Uh, The first one for Debbie Dooley and Christine Pelosi, uh, I'll just mention a phrase, and you're going to say the first First person that comes to mind. So, first one for Debbie Dooley, uh, a liberal you'd like to go out drinking with. 
Al Gore. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I actually know Al Gore. I met him at an event. He uh, seemed cool. Christine Pelosi, a conservative you'd like to go out drinking with. Debbie Dooley. <laughs> Can I change my answer to Christine? <laughs> Debbie Dooley, a liberal you'd like to take sports shooting at a firing range. Probably Bernie Sanders. <laughs> He's, yeah, yeah, gun state, Vermont. Uh, uh, Christine Pelosi, a conservative you'd like to introduce to dreamers in their home. Well, provided that ice wasn't far behind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they'd like to meet him, but um, Mike Pence. Debbie Dooley, a Muslim country you'd like to visit? Well, Saudi Arabia, I couldn't because I don't bow to any men or walk behind men. I think God created man and looked and said, I can do better, and he created one. <laughs> so so I, I would say uh, more of uh, a country, probably Turkey. Okay. Uh, Christine Pelosi, an elected conservative you respect. Melissa Melendez, assemblywoman from Southern California who just authored the uh, We Said Enough whistleblower bill. Actually, she authored it five years ago. It finally got cool. passed. Very this cool. is about sexual harassment in the California state legislature? Yes, it provides whistleblower protections for uh, state capital employees um, to report incidents of sexual harassment or, or be witnesses. We worked together a little bit on the bill and... Uh, She's a, she's a very strong leader, and remember the name because she'll be a very strong leader on that issue going forward from the military, where unfortunately she has had experience with. Debbie Dooley, uh, other than renewable energy, a major policy or cultural issue on which you have changed your mind after learning more about it. I used to be a pretty much a hawk on defense. I'm not anymore. I'm very supportive of... Uh, uh, there was just a, a joint piece of legislation that uh, Mike Lee and Bernie Sanders have uh, are introducing that demands, you know, a vote on being involved in Saudi Arabia and the war between Saudi Arabia and, and Yemen. Yeah. And I'm fully supportive of that. Is I mean, they should have gone to Congress for it. I don't view Saudi Arabia as an ally. But uh, defense, I used to be pretty much a defense hawk, and I'm like, why are we spending all this money in war when it's really not uh, U.S. interest at, at stake? So I, I would say I've, the past few years, I've done an about-face when it comes to defense. Christine Pelosi, a major issue you've changed your mind on. Well, I wouldn't call it changing my mind, but I would say the more work that I've done with veterans and military families, the more of appreciation I have for that experience. My, my cousin was active duty in the first Gulf War and um, had resigned his commission um, in uh, Intel to be, go work to this, for the State Department. But I would say um, having not grown up in an active duty family, but doing a lot of work with military families on a variety of issues has really... Uh, broaden my views in terms of what the local consequences are. We, we, we grew up in, in San Francisco in the, the height of the opposition to the Vietnam War. Right. And so when you look out on the street here and we try to deal with our homeless problem, uh, when you look at some of the homeless veterans and you look at some of the That's programs great. like Swords to Plowshares and what they're trying to do, I think uh, it's been a big part of my career over the past dozen years to try to not only recruit veterans to run for office, but 
also to make sure that all candidates running for office have a Veterans and Military Families Advisory Committee to their campaigns. And frankly, that's something that probably wouldn't have occurred to me um, when I started in politics 25 years ago. That's a good thing. True or false, part of our lightning round. This is for Christine Pelosi. In the 1990s, Democrats blocked progress on gender equity in American workplaces by diminishing President Clinton's misuse of power over intern Monica Lewinsky. False. Inappropriate uh, behavior. Called out, censure him and move on. But I don't think that that blocked progress in the workplace. Uh, Debbie Dooley, evangelicals are giving a pass to a serial philanderer who's boasted about his sexual... Conquest. I, I agree. Debbie Dooley, uh, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell should release the names of members of Congress who have used taxpayer dollars to pay settlements for sexual harassment. I absolutely believe that and advocate strongly for that. Christine Pelosi, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell should release the names of members of Congress who've used taxpayer dollars. Absolutely. Debbie Dooley, the Republican Party, true or false, is suffering from moral rot. I, th I think both political parties are. <laughs> Christine? I think something is happening to course in our culture. I think the entire country is, 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 uh, has a danger of, of being coarsened and having that. But I also think there's a great time of renewal as well. I think that one of the things that we've learned is that we're actually not a monolith. And there are probably three or four Republican parties and three or four Democratic yep. parties um, kind of bound into two. And there really isn't a strong way to run a national independent. Unless you're a billionaire, you can't afford to get on the ballot in all 50 states. So the fight is really to build these uh, transpartisan coalitions around issues and then try to get something done. But I don't think that there's necessarily a moral rot so much as there is a sense of anger and frustration and helplessness that a lot of people here uh, feel. And then they say, I'm going to channel that. I'm going to refuse to give in to that. And I'm going to try to do something better. You're listening to a conversation about bridging the partisan divide. This is Climate One. Coming up, Greg Dalton will ask about other ways to bring people together on climate and clean energy. If you go into a conservative or Tea Party meeting and you make the big corporations or the electric monopolies the bad guy instead of the Kentucky coal miner the bad guy, you're going to have a much more receptive audience. That's up next when Climate One continues. You're listening to Climate One. Greg Dalton is talking about bridging the partisan divide on climate with Debbie Dooley, founder of the Green Tea Coalition, and Christine Pelosi, executive committee woman of the DNC. Here's Greg. So Debbie Dooley, I want to ask you, uh, you used to be on the board of the Tea Party Patriots. Uh, you're not now uh, hearing you talk the way you are. Do you get, uh, how does the Tea Party view you now? Do you get blowback <laughs> from some of your Tea Party friends? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, to be honest, no. But... I have, I can remember during, I think it was President Obama's last State of the Union address. He kind of referred to me, well, you know, when he said, hey, I have, in Georgia, Tea Party members agree with me on energy. <laughs> and he talked about green eye shade. And I had a, my, my text message on my phone. <laughs> President Obama just was talking about you in his State of the Union address. No, because uh, when you stop and think about it, the key is education. When people find out the facts, oh, they're totally on board. They don't like electric monopolies. If you go into a conservative or Tea 
Tea Party meeting and you make the big corporations or the electric monopolies the bad guy instead of the Kentucky coal miner the bad guy, you're going to have a much more receptive audience. And uh, I'm having great success among Tea Party activists. Debbie Dooley, one uh, group formed recently, Students for Carbon Dividends, maybe not the most exciting title, but they do have uh, 23 uh, college Republican groups out there supporting yep. a plan put forward by elders of the Republican Party, George Schultz, James Baker. Um, where do you see, you know, is there the, the youth of, of this movement of what you're talking about, Republican support on, on college campuses for green energy? Well, I was involved when I got involved with the uh, Florida referendum. Uh, I was active in Florida. I went to Young Republican event, and at that time, this was in 2015. And so I went and I spoke at a Young Republican event, and I just talked about energy choice and freedom. And this is, I just stayed away from mentioning anything about the environment. And I had several young Republicans come up to me after the meeting and they said, hey, it's okay to mention climate change to us. <laughs> they, 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 said, they said millennials believe in climate change. So it's okay when you're in this group to mention that to us. On the impacts of fossil fuels, uh, you grew up in Louisiana, the Deepwater Horizon. Tell us you know, what's happening. You know, Louisiana is feeling a lot of impacts with coastal erosion, sea level rise. Yep. The news has moved on from the Gulf Coast from 2010, but is this impact still being felt there with the people you know? Well, just recently, just within the past year, there was a bipartisan group of elected officials in Louisiana that are suing the big oil companies over erosion of the marshlands. And the reason marshlands are important in Louisiana is because when a hurricane comes slamming in from the Gulf, uh, you know, the marshlands are a buffer. They kind of help slow the hurricane down. So people are deeply concerned because there is, if you look at the map, satellite images, you can't say that the marshland and coastlines aren't evaporating. So, you know, uh, people are waking up. It's, it's taking them time, but conservatives are waking up when it comes to that. And some of the people most affected are contributed least to it because they're either low income, either right. domestically or overseas, and they're least equipped to deal with it. So, Christine Pelosi, how is this country going to uh, adapt to climate change and make sure the people who are kind of disadvantaged in the brown energy economy are helped in the green energy economy because the people who are least equipped, contributed least, are suffering first and worst? I think that's exactly right. And, you know, we'll end where I started with my story about the, um, about the cookies and the farm workers, because it all goes back to that. If you look at the people in the poorest communities, that's where the power plants are. That's where the fracking is. That's where they're going to drill. That's where the extraction is happening. And without compensation to the people, it's a real uh, public health hazard, uh, whether you're talking about dirty water, whether you're talking about filthy air, whether you're talking about even the people that are hired to go in and do the cleanup who aren't given the protective gear to go in and do the work right. um, and then end up with environmental um, illnesses that for which they, they don't have health care. So I think that there are a couple of things that we have to do. Number one, I know that Tea Party isn't a fan of this, but you really do have to expand Medicare for all. You really do have to have universal health care as a right and not a privilege and make sure people have access to it. You've got to have those community health centers that are going to be present there. You have to have treatment for 
diabetes and asthma and the other conditions that people have in these very poor communities, you're also going to have to talk about climate equity and, and, and climate justice and make sure that when you're talking about the renewal, going back to that potential, mm -hmm. hopefully not ephemeral uh, infrastructure plan that actually creates jobs, that it is jobs where people are not only good paying jobs with healthcare, with the protective gear, but also that you're building out sustainable neighborhoods and affordable housing so that, that once you uh, renew a place, that, that people can afford to live there. One quick story, we went to, uh, the DNC went to New Orleans six months after Katrina. Right. And when you go downtown in New Orleans, uh, six months after Katrina, the French Quarter, it looked beautiful. You, you could barely tell that something had happened. Few small businesses shuttered, but other than that, it looked like the French Quarter. On the other hand, we went to the Ninth Ward, and it was as if it had happened yesterday. Cars still twirled up in trees, you know, homes, because people didn't um, have the resources to rebuild. Uh, the government wasn't providing the resources to rebuild. And not only that, but families were very, very concerned about the rebuilding because here you had largely African-American families. So there's certainly racist policy involved, but also rather than being a renter's community, these were homes that housed two or three generations of families all within the same home, the only source of wealth for the family and the only source of housing for many generations of the family. So rebuilding the neighborhood meant rezoning them out of everything that they had. And there's no way you can compensate for that. So I think when we talk about renewal, we talk about affordable housing and green housing and all that, it has to include people who are poor and it has to include living wages with health care for people. We're talking with Debbie Dooley and Christine Pelosi at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. We're going to go to our audience questions. Welcome. Thank you. Um, how do we reduce and eventually eliminate the influence big money has in our political system? Christine Pelosi, you've, you've taken a swing at this. You've made a couple of dents at it. Yeah. I have. I think the first thing that we have to do is ask each candidate to take the pledge individually as a person. You have people right now running for Senate and governor and Congress and other positions of influence and power. So ask them, what's your platform? And then ask them to not take money that conflicts with their platform. So the, I think that individuals doing it is important. It's also important to press your party committees to make sure that they're drawing these lines. Uh, third, work with groups like the California Clean Money Coalition. As I do, we passed something called AB 249. So Debbie, all those initiatives you're talking about in California, you have to list the top three donors oh, of wow. those initiatives. So you can't just be Californians for sunshine. Now it's like, oh, paid for by Chevron and PG&E, all that. So I think having disclosure does force a conversation about big money into the conversation. And finally, I do think that a, a significant piece of campaign finance reform we need to pass around the country is to uh, pass a law that outlaws utilities from being able to use ratepayer dollars yep. for campaign contributions. Yeah. Let's go to our next question. Welcome to Climate One. Thank you, Holly Kaufman. Debbie, you've talked a lot about how facts have changed your mind and changed the mind of other people that you work with. How come facts about the science of climate change aren't changing people's minds and we have to dance around with legitimate words like uh, energy choice and freedom? Why can't we talk about the facts and why aren't those facts changing people's minds? Because conservatives have been told for years that man's not damaging the environment. And as far as I'm concerned, most people, this is a key. I think it was Jay Faison released a poll a few years ago, and it asked the question, do you believe in climate change? And, you know, big majority said, no, this is Republicans. 
but he turned around and asked the question, uh, do you believe climate change has always been, you know, in cycles, but man's making it uh, worse? Double the response agreed with that. And, and for me, I don't want to get caught up on why you're working and why you support renewables. I just care about the results. And I just, you know, if you want to put solar panels and push solar panels because you think they look good on your house, and, and you're willing, and you know, and you're willing to work to advance them, that's all I care about. Um, let's go to our next question. Welcome to Climate One. Thank you. The U.S. government gives billions of dollars to subsidize the extractive industry. You talk about investing money in research and for clean energy. How competitive would clean energy be if the government stopped subsidizing the extractive industry? Can I answer that? <laughs> uh, because as a conservative, when uh, I first got involved with the solar fight, I mean, I, I, the anti renewable folks within the conservative movement uh, must all share a brain because they're also predictable. And, and no doubt it's coming talking points furnished by Koch brothers. Mm -hmm. But uh, fossil fuel has been heavily subsidized since 1932. Uh, during the first 10 years of nuclear, uh, public innovation and, and research, money from the federal government, federal tax dollars for R&D amounted to 1% of the federal budget. During the first 10 years of solar, it accounted for one-tenth of 1% of the federal mm -hmm. budget. Nuclear can't exist without subsidies. If I had my way, I would say cut out all energy subsidies, both direct and indirect, and let the market decide what energy is best because there is no doubt in my mind it would be solar and wind and renewable energy would win. But make no mistake, I point out the subsidies that fossil fuel and nuclear uh, have been receiving over the years. And I think, uh, you know, if you're going to cut out one energy subsidy, Cut them all out. Don't pick winners and losers. Don't go after renewables. Something like half a trillion dollars worldwide um, every year on energy subsidies. We're talking about powering America's future with Christine Pelosi and Debbie Dooley. I'm Greg Dalton. Let's go to our next question. Welcome to Climate One. Hello, my name is Mary Selkirk. I'm with Citizens Climate Lobby, which is an international organization. We have close to 100,000 citizen lobbyists here in the United States working with their members of Congress to level the playing field for clean energy. And I was very happy. I just wanted to thank you. This is a question for, for Debbie Dooley. First of all, thank you for all your tremendous efforts. Thank you. And the question is what your view is on carbon pricing and whether you would support a fully rebated tax on carbon. I don't think you would get that passed if you call it a carbon tax uh, because a Republican's not going to... Uh, likely to vote for a tax increase, but I would be supportive of some some form of that. Yes, I would. Seems like a big opportunity was just missed on that front with tax reform to yeah, have some carbon tax and give money back to the people. Let's go to our next question. Hi there. I write for hundreds of millions of Walmart shoppers, and I am here tonight because I found you, Debbie Dooley, on the internet. And I thought, my God, here it is, a way to present a message. And I am looking for that way. And I'm wondering if you have any knowledge to share beyond 
just the couple of clips I've been able to find. Uh, if you go, you can email me, Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E, at energyfreedomusa.org. <laughs> Debbie at energyfreedomusa.org. And you can contact Greg. He'll know how to get in touch with me, too. <laughs> Thank you. Let's go to our last question. Welcome to Climate One, young man. Well, hi. Um, so as a kid, I've been told that I'm going to be leading, uh, or our generation is going to be leading the country soon, but our uh, political uh, stance on climate change and uh, solar energy doesn't seem to be moving much. Where do you hope to see that your parties go in the next, let's just say, 20 years when I'm going to be grown up and doing something? Um, <laughs> where do you hope to see your party's stance in renewable fuels and uh, how we change climate for the better of our country and for future generations. Thank you. Uh, Christine Pelosi, it's often thought that these are not voting issues. It's one thing to say I'm for this, but when people go to the ballot box, it's not driving their decision. I would say two things. First of all, there's a lot you can do now. When I was growing up, I was Generation X. So my generation, we, we did more recycling than registering to vote. Looking back, that was perhaps a mistake. Um, <laughs> so I think that one thing that you can do now is get involved now. I mean, there, there are things that you can do now to make sure that you, you push if you go to school or you're active in a club or, a, or an organization. Ask how, you know, how climate friendly they are. What's the carbon footprint at your school? What's the carbon footprint of a club or an organization that you're a part of? What can you do um, to act locally that has a global impact, but also has an impact on, on the adults in your community, um, your caregivers, your guardians, who are voters. So I would say don't wait, because if we wait 20 years, if you're just recycling now and then registering to vote later, like my generation, we're going to be even farther behind. So do what mine didn't and get involved now and push people now on where you want them to go. Uh, uh, JFK famously said, to govern is to choose. So people need to make a choice now about what's going to affect your future. So whether it's your school, whether it's your organization, whether it's your community, you should go and ask your elected officials what they're doing right now. You can write your representatives and you should and say, hey, I want a future that's 100% renewable and you as my leader um, need to vote for that and not only vote for it, but but push for it. And also, finally, I would say, if you are part of any group or a class, I remember when uh, my daughter Bella's kindergarten class um, wrote to um, their congresswoman about, um, they were very concerned about water pollution and wanted to know what she was going to do about it. Nancy Pelosi wrote them back and told them <laughs> the things that she was doing uh, to try to affect their lives. But the fact is, uh, it's important to have that accountability. So don't wait, hold us accountable now. Debbie Dooley, quickly, we're getting to the Debbie Dooley. Quickly, uh, I see a clean energy future, just like I said, I envision that solar and renewables are going to be cool because the people are demanding it. Greg Dalton has been talking about bridging the partisan divide on climate with Debbie Dooley, founder of the Green Tea Coalition and president of Conservatives for Energy Freedom, and Christine Pelosi, Executive Committee Woman of the Democratic National Committee. To hear all our Climate One conversations, subscribe to our podcast at our website, climateone.org, where you'll also find photos, video clips, and more. If you like the program, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
and join us next time for another conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. Climate One is a project of the Commonwealth Club of California. Kelly Pennington directs our audience engagement. Carlos Manuel and Tyler Reed are producers. The audio engineer is Mark Kirshner. Annie Chelsea and Devin Strolovich edit the show. I'm Greg Dalton, the executive producer and host. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Climate One is produced in association with KQED Public Radio.